Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Get Wrecked, the only podcast anywhere in the world where two buds take turns recommending and reviewing some of their favorite pop culture hits, hidden gems, and oddities. I'm of course your host and resident silly boy Thor, joined today as always by my friend and co-host. He's a spider head, he's a spider head, does whatever a spider's head does? It's Micah. <laughs> um man try googling this movie and not having spider-man, Spider-Man show up show up <laughs> that's fair that's fair i loved that old theme song for spider-man it was the best on the way here kendra was in the car with me and i was telling her what do you think about this as a silly intro spider head spider head does i did the whole and she's like what song? Like, is that a song? What is that? And I'm what? like, and I, Kendra. And I'm like, you, I don't understand the question. <laughs> and she goes, is that a song? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, it's the Spider-Man theme song. <laughs> and so I sing it for her and she goes, I've never heard that. What? It, Ugh, how? And, and well, and I had to. Um, I guess I'm like we have to stop talking right now. I'm getting infuriated. <laughs> and and I'm like, yeah, it is from the cartoon. And she's like, okay, well, I never watched that. It's from the old cartoon as well. So yeah, and but here's the thing: is they pay homage to it in the movies. Yeah. I don't know which one it is, but there's an Asian lady with a violin singing Spider Man doing an racist voice. I'm not going to do the voice. You're not going to get me internet. I'm not going to do the voice. But she's doing a very Asian voice playing a violin singing the Spider-Man song. Yeah, she's plucking the violin. And Um, and Kendra goes, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so. I just didn't even know. Yeah, I think that that was an awkward car ride. That was either (laughs) the first or the second Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. Okay, yep. Old school movie-wise. Out of all of those, I think that the second one was the best one. Sure. Yeah. The second one was when they really hit the stride. uh, And then three was just too much. You know, we recently rewatched the first Spider-Man movie, the Tobey Maguire one. Okay. And I kind of forgot Mary Jane is real, real trailer trash. She is like (laughs) real white trash. She's I mean, that whole trilogy is her bouncing between Peter and Harry. Yeah. Is that what you mean, though, as far as... No, I mean, in those scenes, like... You're just talking about Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> the the way they drew, they really gave her this vibe of white trash. Interesting. She's wearing... Her clothes come off kind of trashy, and she obviously has the dad that, like, yells at her, mm-hmm. not from a good situation, but she kind of looks like a trailer skank. Really? Yeah, go back and watch it. You're going to be like, oh, wow. I Why was Peter Parker so in love with her? I mean, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen those. Seen those. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder if they reboot the Tobey Maguire series if Kirsten Dunst will show back up as MJ. I would, I would go see that. I absolutely would go see I, that. Because, I mean, I'm talking mad trash, but, <laughs> dude, who yeah. at... Our age, mm-hmm. when those movies came out, who was not in love with Kirsten Dunst? I was, I mean, yeah. yeah that, that upside was... down kissing scene in the rain? Come sure. on. Sure. That's burned into all of our memories. Yeah. Just 
poking through. Prior, you know what I'm saying? Prior to that, <laughs> she was in another gym where she played a girl next door type of character. Little gym, you might have heard of it, called Small Soldiers. Oh my gosh, yes. I love Small Soldiers. Yeah, Small Soldiers was great. Yeah, she was the uh, literally the girl next door. Yeah. Um, the I don't know. It's weird calling it a love interest, but because they're yeah, teenagers. No, that's what she was. I, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I forgot all about that movie. Oh, Small it's Soldiers so was good. great. Yeah, it was amazing. Tommy Lee Jones was the was the main action figure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Dude, those were some of my favorite toys growing up. They scared a lot of kids. I, I had the action figures of the Small Soldier guys. Oh, yeah. So cool. Yeah. I thought that they what were cool. What was his name? It was like Chip Renegade or something. Uh, Major Chip Hazard was was the leader. That was Tom. Uh, not Tom. That was. Uh, oh, my gosh. What's his name? I literally just said it. Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. Tommy Lee Jones. Holy shit, folks. OK, let's get into the show <laughs> <laughs> before I forget my name. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones uh, played Major Chip Hazard. Another one was Nick Nitro. I used to know them all because they were my favorites. They all had stupid names like that. Yeah. Well, and I also love they were the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot there was a lot of learning in that because the Yeah, it was a uh, not so elegantly veiled critique of like racism. Well or general like unacceptance of people. Yeah. Different from you. Sure. Yeah. And and yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good lesson. It was a good it lesson. Was, it was a good lesson and also a ton of fun. Yeah, a ton of fun. What a cool movie. Also kind of scary. Um I remember the Small Soldiers video game because I was really into Small Soldiers. I had to play the play- video game for the PlayStation. Uh in the intro for that, they have the little boy in the Dreamworks moon because it was a Dreamworks movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he's fishing and the action figures are climbing up the fishing line and they <laughs> tie him up. Oh my God, that's so brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, anyway, Spiderhead. Spiderhead. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Hey, folks, make sure to stay up to date on all the latest episodes by following us at Get Wrecked Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you have any recommendations you'd like to hear us review on the show, you can contact us directly via email. Or, I don't know, maybe you just want to send us some feet pics. You creep. I don't know what you're into. I don't care. We'll review those too. What do you think of that, huh? In any case, all your requests, feedback, and general criticism of the straight white patriarchy can be sent to getrectpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Alrighty, folks, today we are discussing the 2019, 2020 film, uh, Spiderhead. I'm probably wrong on those dates. 2022, according to IMDb. Not even close. Okay. Yeah, the 2022 film. <laughs> we can cut that out. Uh, Netflix original, Spiderhead, directed by Joseph Kosinski, with the screenplay written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Um, and it's based on a short story that appeared in the New Yorker in 2010 called Escape from Spiderhead. And it's starring Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller, and I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, Journey Smollett. Mm, you got me, man. 
Uh, and uh, essentially, it it takes place in this weird facility that's kind of these people who are in prison. They've elected to come to this medical facility for early release, um, but they have to be experiments for these drugs that this company is testing out. So Chris Hemsworth plays essentially the doctor administering administering these these drugs and essentially kind of noting how they how they react to it. That's the basic plot and it gets kind of darker. He obviously has some sinister yeah. motivations that you don't really find out. As always big spoiler big spoiler alert ahead. Uh, we're going to be talking about the film. If you haven't seen it, you can go catch it on Netflix. Um, so with that being said, Micah, what do you think? Huh. Um, you know, you know how with A Clockwork Orange, I said that there's a conversation to be had about humanity and what makes a person moral and his morality. You know, the conversation that Clockwork tries to say in the movie. Sure. Say that that conversation's worth having. But I said that we didn't need to see Clockwork Orange to have that movie. Or okay. to have that to have that conversation. Um, this is to me a way to do that well. Okay, I I really feel like it was a pretty solid film all the way around. It gave me some vibes from a bunch of other films. Uh, one in particular was Ex Machina. I don't know if you've seen that. Movie I have at not. All. No. Um, Similar scenario where there's a test subject, basically, in in this kind of thing. Uh, it was cool seeing Chris Hemsworth in this type of role. I know. He plays a very interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. And and then Miles Teller was great in this again. Always. Yeah. I, I'm learning that I love Miles Teller. He's so talented. <laughs> and honestly, I've seen like an interview or two with him, mm -hmm. and I want to dislike him. Oh, Okay. He kind of strikes me as a little smug and a little arrogant. Kevin Spacey but, type. But honestly, he I think he deserves to be. He's talented as hell. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen any interviews with him, so I'm I'm not 100% sure about that. Doesn't seem like a bad guy. Just seems like somebody who's very confident in himself. And sometimes that rubs me the wrong way, I'll admit. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more of a statement on me than other people, but... <laughs> no, I, I get that. I get that. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I completely get that. We, <laughs> I completely get that, Thor. You know. I, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised with this because I, I wasn't sure what to expect. Okay. Um, you know, I didn't go in thinking that I was going to dislike it, but I also just, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, well, and that's kind of, when we watched it, I was like, I've seen this once and I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. Yeah. I'd like to watch it again and get your thoughts. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that it did a really good job of... I, I felt like the narrative overall was pretty well written. felt like the acting overall was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I feel, like, um, I feel like there's a conversation to be had about morality and, you know, what could be a good society versus maybe what's the right society to have. Yeah. And, and actually this does, you are correct. This does follow a lot of the threads of clockwork orange. Yeah. This, this concept of the, that choice between free will and a idyllic society. Yeah. And kind of blurring the lines as to when does it stop being worth it? 
Yeah. Or is there a line that you can't cross to reach that goal? Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, ultimately, I come on the side of everything in here was wrong and there's not a for the greater good scenario yeah, that I would be oppo- or, o- open to. Yeah, he's just trying wild, like all these different drugs and he's just using a bingo card. To- yeah. Oh my gosh. The whole bingo card revelation was kind of crazy. Very funny. Um, But it was it was really cool because you, you follow Miles Teller's character. His, his name, Jeff. His name's Jeff, right? Uh, you follow him through this and it's all kind of from maybe not his point of view, but you're learning with Jeff. He's kind of the character that you're being, that you're getting introduced. Things yeah. He's to. certainly the protagonist of the story. Yeah. Um, and he's in there. And at first you don't really know why he's in there. And then slowly it, it reveals that, um, that he was in a car accident. He was drunk, drunk driving. He was in there with his best friend. It seems like, and his girlfriend, uh, they got into a really bad accident. He survived. They did not. She got, or he got charged with manslaughter. Two counts. Sad story, right? But the the facility that they were in was kind of cool. It's kind of a neat idea. And at first, you're not 100% opposed to what's happening because you don't know everything that's happening. Yeah, because they have like this luxurious life for a prisoner. It's basically they've made this trade-off of, hey, let us text, test these drugs on you. And you'll get out early. And also, you don't have to be behind bars. You don't have to worry about dying because everybody wants to be here. Nobody wants to mess it up. Yeah. Seems like a pretty sweet deal. Everybody in the facility is basically on on its own island. So they don't really have anywhere to go. And because of that, it's just a big building. It's like going to a camp, essentially. Yeah, they joke Um, at one point and they're like, it's summer camp. Yeah. So as long as you go to your appointments and do the testing... You kind of have free reign to do whatever you want in between those times, which sounds like a pretty cool gig. I could, you know, if I was in prison and that option was given to me, I could definitely see me taking that up, especially not knowing what is happening behind the scenes. Sure. And the whole thing's being run by the lead researcher, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. Steve Abnesti. And this is played by Chris Hemsworth. And he's such an interesting character because... He's the master manipulator. Yeah. He's always friendly and polite. And at one point, Jeff keeps calling him Mr. Abnesty. He's like, Jeff, please. It's Steve. Call me Steve. Because he's your friend. He's your buddy. That's kind of how he plays it. And every time he has to do, because they're trying these different chemicals that essentially uh, one will make you really happy. One will make you talk a lot. And then there's ones like Darken Flux. That's a big part of the story, which just makes you feel like panic, absolute fear and panic. Yeah, they said that it was an agitator. So, yeah, and it kind of makes you lose it a little bit. And they all have these packs that are hooked up to their back. So the drugs just get pumped right into their spine. Yeah, it it it's put into their back around the same spot that um, you get an epidural in. Sure. Yeah, it's it's around that, it's lower back area. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's going right into the spine. It's kind of a weird scenario though, because the pack that's attached to their back, their backpack, if you will, is kind of thick. Like it's, it protrudes out a little yeah, bit. It's, it's not like this... having a pager from the nineties strapped to your <laughs> spine. <laughs> yeah. It's not this, I mean, it's not very big as far as height and width, but it's just 
thick. It like juts out. Yeah. I don't think that you could sleep on your back with it. No, you're definitely not sleeping on your back. Yeah. And and it has the it's got like a hinge door open that you can put little vials and containers yeah. in. And that's how the drug is administered to them. Through a smartphone, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> through through an app. Uh and you can I guess administer it in different doses too. And that that's kind of the basic premise of it is they are trying out these drugs and the tests become uh, more and more severe. And you kind of, as it goes on, you start to realize there's some like kind of sinister overtones, which how'd you feel about the soundtrack? I liked the soundtrack. It was pretty cool. Um, it was kind of foreboding in its nature mm-hmm. and it had kind of a little tech sound to it. Yeah. I thought I- it was pretty cool. I felt like it matched what was going on in the film real well, because it's a lot of like poppy, happy 80s music. Oh, that. Yeah, that too. And it's this perfect kind of representation of what's going on in the actual film, in the story, whereas the music is bright and happy and shiny and everything seems nice. But you can tell there's this undercurrent of something devious going on behind it. Mm-hmm. But that music, that music is Steve. If that's him putting on that face of, hey, guys, I'm your oh, friend. Yeah. Everything's good. Aren't We're helping you here. On Fridays, we'll let you go out and get some outside time. Yep. And you get to go on a trip. You can go walk on the mountains or whatever it is. Yeah. That Steve is that music. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a bad band or a bad, a bad gig. It really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. A bad band. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound like a bad gig. The parts where it gets weird is when you start, when it starts showing you what's happening during the trials. Because at first you don't see a lot of what's happening during the trials. Or at least you see, you see trials and there's a drug that they give to two people, one of them being Miles Teller's character, Jeff, in a room. And it basically makes them fall in love with each other. They rate each other on a scale of one to ten first. Uh, he goes, I'm going to give her a seven. And she gives him like a four or something like that. And then he goes, uh, can I change it? Uh, eight, eight. Solid eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very awkward scenario. They just sit him and it's this girl, Heather. Mm-hmm. They sit um, face to face in a room. There's nothing else in the room. It's just a couch. And then they always have this thing. Anytime they're going to give them one of the drugs, because the whole thing is they have to agree to be here. So they always have to, before they can give him a chemical, uh, Steve, the the doctor, will say, hey, is it okay if we give you this drug? And then Jeff or Heather, whoever it is, have to say, acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So once they say acknowledge, you see them both kind of just staring at each other. And then before you know it, they're having sex. Yep. They're just going at it like animals. Yeah, and and then they do that with... Jeff and another woman. And a much older woman. A much older woman who seems more into it from the get-go than what Jeff is into. Um, you ever seen like a, a guy with those stupid t-shirts where it's like a guy riding a motorcycle and it says, if you can read this, the bitch fell off? Yeah. She's the lady that fell off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's an old biker chick. Yeah, like an old biker chick who has stayed thin through smoking. That's smoking math. Sure. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I guess I guess so. So a similar scenario happens with that and that 
they just look at each other. The drug goes up. I don't remember what the name of that one was. Um, but then they just start going at it. It's interesting, too, because Chris, not Chris, Chris, well, Chris Hemsworth, his character, Steve, has an assistant who goes around and refills the vials in everybody's back, including Steve himself, which I thought was kind of interesting that the yeah. guy running the program also had one of these on his back. Yeah, well, and Kendra brought up a point, actually, when we were watching this, because as you go on to find out, is Steve really doesn't care about these chemicals. He cares about the one chemical he never asks them about. Yeah, which was a pretty solid uh, twist, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, B6, Mm -hmm. and that's the red chemical. And that's the one that essentially uh, teaches people to be obedient. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes a little bit off the rails as the movie goes on. One of the thoughts that Kendra had, though, was... Do you think part of the reason he kind of gets so wacky is because he's getting high on his own supply and messing with his own mind as well? Because that kid tells him, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And he's like, listen, buddy, when I got to stand in front of the board and tell them that I believe in these chemicals, who are they going to believe? I'm going to be like, I've tried them myself, which is a crazy That's I'm pretty I know very little about drug testing, but I'm pretty sure if you're the person running the test, it's not good to go back to your investors and be like, hey, look, I tried it and it's pretty sweet. <laughs> I I think I think that he was definitely partaking because he was only partaking in the good ones. Right. Yeah, so exactly. I, the ones that would make him feel good. Yeah. So so that whole justification of him trying them obviously was false yeah but i don't know if it was affecting him or affecting his decision making per se i think what was defect what was affecting his decision making was that the b6 drug wasn't working on miles as the story progresses Mm -hmm. because he tells him to up his dose or double his dose at one point and at first even even then when he says double his dose you don't know necessarily what that's referring to you figure at least for me i thought well okay so tomorrow whatever drug they put in them to talk about the uh, what's happening, they'll double that dose or something. I wasn't yeah. sure what double the dose meant, but after watching the whole thing, it was doubling that B6 drug in them to make them more compliant the next day. Yes, yeah. So I think that he went off the rails because that B6 wasn't working in that scenario. Sure. And instead of, instead of having all of his eggs in many baskets, he had them in this B6 basket. Like that's the one, like you said, that's the one that he cared about. So if that one wasn't working and he spent a lot of time and money, I can see why he's starting to freak out in that scenario. Because you end up finding out Steve isn't just running this trial. Steve Abnesti is the owner of Abnesti Pharmaceuticals who owns this whole place. He's the running the company. He's always, because whenever Miles' character, Jeff, has questions... He's like, I don't know, I'll have to call and talk to somebody and see if if Jeff doesn't want to do something. He'll go, I don't know, Jeff. You know, I hate, I'd hate to make you do this thing. Because what he's trying to get Jeff to do is give this darkened flocks, which makes you feel the worst feelings you've ever felt in the world, to one of these women who he had previously fallen in love with. And he right. refuses to do it. So when he refuses, Steve goes, 
Uh, I I don't know, Jeff. I'll call the board. I'll talk. Let let me see what I can do. I don't want to give anybody Dark and Fox. Why would I? It's terrible. I agree with you. I'm on your side. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes and gets coffee and comes back and says, "Sorry, they they said no." Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He appeals to emotion a lot, and he also uses that appeal to emotion anytime that somebody pushes back on him too. Because anytime that Miles uh, Miles's character. Jeff would push back and say, no, I don't want to do this. He would come back and say, look, I think you've got a pretty good thing here. Like, am I not the one who would go and some weird athlete's foot virus went through the entire place? And he goes, and I went and paid for the medication for that out of my own personal money. Right. Didn't I? (laughs) And he, he goes, this was a funny line to me. Jeff goes, that was nice. And he goes, thank you. And then he and then he follows it up with, but not very professional. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought that line was hysterical. That was great. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but it struck me as very humorous. Yeah. And at one point when Jeff is really struggling with because Steve is relentless, he is trying to get him to do something very dark, to put this chemical in somebody that he cares about or used to care. About. And the thing is, he's like, I don't care about either of these women. I don't want anybody to get the Darken Fox because it's the worst feeling ever. Yeah. He, and had so, it, he had it on him. Yeah. And he's like, it's awful. I don't, it has nothing to do with caring about anybody. I refuse to do that to another person. And Steve is just trying everything he can. So at one point, he invites him up to his room and it's basically like them getting stoned together. They're using whatever drug it is, the laughing drug. Yeah. And they're just sitting there laughing. And I like this scene. They're talking about the saddest moments of their lives and laughing hysterically. Steve tells this story how my dad took me. uh, He said we were going on a trip. And then when we showed up, he dropped me off at an orphanage. And then he just drove away. (laughs) He never came back. Never came back. It was so terrible. <laughs> and they're just hysterically laughing. Yeah. Pretty fun scene. Yeah, it was it was a pretty cool scene. And that's the part where they like are kind of saying we're both trapped here. Right. Because Steve is kind of in this prison that he made for himself where he feels if I can't get this chemical to work, my life has no purpose. It's the only thing I've ever cared about. Yeah. How do you feel about Steve as a character? Do you feel like he was? uh Yeah. Just what do you think, Thor? I love it. Yeah. I, you know what he is? He's a cult leader. A cult leader? Yeah. I mean, it, this isn't a cult, but yeah. he's using all the same tactics. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Of, of um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Charles Manson. No, what tactic he used. Oh. He's, he's essentially leveraging, leveraging his position with everyone and just exerting this this control over them. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I can't think of the word. But essentially, he uses a lot of cult leader tactics where he love bombs them and makes them think he's their friend. Mm-hmm. And then he guilts them when they show signs of like, eh, I don't know about that. He's like, yeah, but didn't I get you the foot cream? And don't I let you go out and make phone calls? And he's like, I know all your secrets. I know I know what you did. I won't tell anybody. Nobody's allowed to know what other people did, but I know what you did. Yeah. And also just to mirror that, anytime that 
he wants them to do something that he knows that they probably aren't going to want to do, he says, it's not me, it's the board. You know, I'm on your side. So he's he's using that tactic, again, of uh, this feigned friendship. Yeah. To it's, I don't want you to drink the Kool-Aid. God wants us to drink the Kool-Aid. And yeah. Coercion. That's what. He coerces them. That's oh, yeah. the goddamn word. He does. For sure. He does. Um, yeah. So I think he's an... I think he's a really neat character, and it's neat to see Chris Hemsworth doing something that isn't Thor. Yeah, I would agree. The only other thing that I think I've seen him in, other than Thor, was the Ghostbusters movie. The all-female Ghostbusters movie. Never saw it. It's No interest. It's not great. It's not great. The thing with Chris Hemsworth, though, in that movie, is they were kind of taking a, a jab at the hot, dumb blonde but they were making it a guy. Okay. And it was Chris Hemsworth. He plays that character he, pretty well. Yeah, he plays the hot, dumb blonde. And so <laughs> there's a part in that where he's talking to them and he's got glasses on and his eye itches. So he just reaches through the frame of the lens <laughs> and just scratches his eye, revealing that he doesn't have any lenses in his glasses. <laughs> That's the only part of the movie that I remember. Whatever that tells you about the film. <laughs> Wasn't great. Um... So it was. It was nice seeing him not as Thor and and doing something else. And I think it's a really unique character, and I don't think it's a character that's been done a million times. As far as the character it's that not, he played? It's, yeah, it's not a tropey character. It's It felt original. It felt, not to say that there aren't snake oil salesmen in movies and things like that, but it's just... Uh, I don't know. It didn't. It felt original. It felt unique. Do you think that they were trying to evoke some... Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg vibes. I could see that for sure. Yeah, I he, felt that a little bit. Yeah, he certainly had a little bit of a... One, once you figure out that he is, you know, obviously super wealthy, he owns a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. That kind of... Uh, God, why can I not think of words today? <laughs> Quir- he's like a quirky billionaire, you know? He yeah. definitely had that. Well, and... This like this like drive of I see I see this picture of the world and I want to make the world better mm-hmm. in the way that only I can. Yeah. Bit of a God complex. You know? Yeah. And also, I think just his age and his overall physique. Um, obviously, Chris Hemsworth is an attractive guy. The head of a pharmaceutical company is not Chris Hemsworth. For sure. Yeah. Right. So I feel like they were kind of taking taking the young billionaire philanthropist and using that image. Yeah, I could see that, definitely. But overall, I really liked it. I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. We didn't even really touch on Journey Smollett. She plays the love, the actual love interest for yeah. Jeff. Yeah, so she's in there. And when when they're in this facility, they all are assigned to different tasks. They have different jobs that they have to do. And when the movie starts, Jeff and her name is Lizzie. Lizzie. They're both on snack duty. So literally, they make snacks so that people can have snacks. Yeah, and they walk around and hand out snacks on a tray. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, and they have like a genuine friendship. Yeah, they've got a pretty solid connection. And you can tell, I mean, it's pretty obvious from the beginning. Oh, they actually like each other. Mm -hmm. Which, and also you kind of... 
when Jeff ha- is forced to have sex with those two girls in those two separate studies, he's like, I need to get taken off snack. Yeah. Because he feels conflicted. Because he doesn't care about either of those girls. And he's like, he doesn't like the fact that he had to have sex with them when he knows he's really in love with Lizzie. Sure. Yeah. And also kind of a testament to the facility that you can kind of have an input on what job you want to do there. Yeah. Kind of cool. Again, except for the whole like experimenting on people. Yep, yeah, and then sometimes the the machine goes wrong and you end up slitting your own throat oh, because yeah, there's you got too, too much dark and flux. Okay, so yeah, here's something that I have to say about this. They foreshadowed it, right? Because during the scenes where Jeff is forced to have sex with the two women, afterwards the assistant is refilling up his vials. And he goes, hey man, I know that it's crazy in there. Like, I know that it's crazy in there and you can't really control yourself, but... You got to be careful about these things. They're not meant to shake around and be banged up. Yeah. So. Because he was plowing. Jeff was going to town with with Heather. Right. Yeah. And and that's what he was saying. You got to be careful. (laughs) Yeah. When you're pounding it raw dog, bro, make sure to (laughs) make sure to take it easy and don't (laughs) mess up this pack. Don't don't bust the hardware. Um, (laughs) So. (laughs) Bust something else. Yeah. Yeah. So. So they foreshadowed that, right, to the point where he has to, he's in the room with Steve, and then he has, he's being told by Steve that he has to choose um, who to give the Dark Influx to at first, and he says no to it, and then ultimately he brings him in like three times, and this one time, it's just one of the girls that he had sex with. Yeah, it's just Heather, the younger one, and this time, there's no choice. He's like, Jeff, hey man, I'm sorry to do this to you. We're going to darken flocks, Heather. The board wasn't satisfied. I was satisfied with what you told me, but the board wasn't. <laughs> it's always the board, that damn board. Yep. And he's like, okay. I mean, this is honestly the entire linchpin of the film is this scene. Yeah, it was a pretty powerful scene, too, because not only did they end up giving her the darken flux, but they had to have Jeff drugged up, too, with some medication that essentially made him discuss yeah, they very call it like analytically. Verbolo or something. It essentially enhances the center of your brain for speech. Yeah. So that you speak very elegantly and not like me tonight. And that <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like it kind of dulls the senses a little bit too, so that you just look at things analytically and kind of uh numbs you're feeling a little bit your yeah. your kind of gut instinct of oh this is, makes me feel uncomfortable it kind of dulls all that and just essentially brings that analytical part of the brain to the forefront yeah so it's this wild scene where she is in the room and it's there's a two-way mirror right in that room so whoever the test subject is at the time can't see on the other side of the mirror they're yeah. just in this blank room uh in a chair and so she just starts going i don't like this 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 feels really weird. And it slowly progresses. And he's just kind of talking. He being Jeff, just saying she is visibly uncomfortable. She, she, seems, she seems to be experiencing incredible discomfort and melancholy. Yeah. And then she kind of goes off the rails a bit and ends up breaking the pack on her back. And it just 
overloads and throws all of the drug into her system. Yeah. And this Darkling Flux, it essentially, it's like having a waking nightmare, but the most horrible waking nightmare you can imagine. It's just pure terror and agitation. You're just angry and scared and upset, and you don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the anger and the upset part, I think, is a pretty key portion of this drug. Because there's another one that is just straight fear. Yeah, the phobica. Yeah, there's another one that's just straight fear. But um, but this one has has anger put into it. And so she's going nuts alone in this room, throwing shit everywhere. Jeff is just describing the situation. And Chris Hemsworth characters looking over to his assistant, like, turn it down. Like, what the heck's wrong with you? And of course, the guy's like, it's not responding. So she freaks out. I don't even know what she finds. What does she find? I, I think she punches a mirror or is that something. What it was? She ends up with glass. She break a lamp or something. Yeah, a lamp or a glass table or a mirror. Some kind. She ends up with a glass shard, mm-hmm. and she just slits her own throat. Yeah, and it's a pretty cool scene visually because they're just looking at her face on, and she's staring at a mirror, obviously, and she cuts her throat, and it just sprays blood. On on the glass. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see the actual slicing. Um, cinematically, it was done pretty well. Yeah. So so she dies. She doesn't have a good day. No. Yep, pretty bad day for her. Pretty bad day for her. There's even another, another part, just to give you insight into Steve's character. When he's trying to talk Jeff down about it, he goes, look, you did great. You did great. Even Heather... Heather did great, except for the very end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not her finest moment, but the rest of it, she was doing great. And he keeps using this line that says, we're changing lives. We're going to make it so that there will never be another you in this situation. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're saving the world. Constantly coercing with that, that leverage he has of, I know what you did and you want to change that. You don't want to have done that. So let's make it so nobody, this is tough. But if you stick with it, nobody will ever have to do what you did. Nobody will ever have to feel the way you felt. Right? Yeah. But then, so when she cuts herself, and once again, like you said, it's kind of funny that Steve, he doesn't go, oh my God, we have to save her. He's like, God damn it. All right, let's go get her. Like, he seems (laughs) really annoyed that she cut her throat. Yeah. (laughs) But when he runs away, he leaves his keys. He drops his keys. So Jeff hops up opens up the uh opens up his little uh drawer and finds his notebook his little journal notebook he always has with him and is reading through it and at this point he realizes that Steve is Steve Abnesti and owns the company they're doing the trials for in addition he sees a bingo card and then he starts noticing hmm B6 well, that's one of our chemicals. N40. Oh, that's that's the the happy drug. Mm-hmm. And he starts putting it together that this guy is literally testing these drugs. And he's given them the name and it's like a bingo card. And they're just trying these different things. And the B6 is the only one that doesn't have a little gold star on it. Yeah. And every time they get something right, Steve tells his assistant it's a gold star. Yep. That one's a gold star. And you don't really get what that means until you see this bingo card. 
And so that's the part where Jeff puts all of it together. Yeah. For the most part, it's basically the whole story summed up. It's at this point he realizes, oh, he just killed this lady. Also, he's secretly in control and he doesn't give a shit about any of this. What is B6? That's the only thing he cares about. Yeah. So in that one scene, he figures out everything that will drive the second half of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big turning point for the film because now now Jeff obviously doesn't trust Steve. Um, And up until that point, I would say that he probably did. It seemed like they had a pretty good relationship. Yeah, he certainly didn't trust the drug trials, I think. Yeah. But he did feel like Steve was on his side. He may have had a little, like, a little nagging feeling, like, ah, maybe Steve is a little bit of a dick and he's not trying as hard as he could, something like that. But he certainly had no idea that it went as deep as it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the movie basically gets to this point where Jeff makes the decision that he and uh, what's her name? Lizzie are going to escape. And he kind of talks to, well, not kind of, he talks to the dude. I don't remember the assistant's name. I can't either. He, he was a good character. Um, he, he was a younger guy. His, so his character's name was, uh, Verain. V E R I A Verlaine. This guy named Mark Paguyo was the actor. No, I think Mark was his character. Yeah, Mark was his the character name. Mark was his character? Pretty sure. Right? Well? Pretty sure he called him Mark. Am I crazy? Well, I, I don't remember. We're going to call him Mark. Okay. Whether that's Mark. the character name or the <laughs> actor name. Yeah. It's the same guy. Yeah. Uh, so Mark, Mark is a younger guy. And he's Jeff is talking to him. He's like, hey. Mark, because that's your name. What's this B6? And Mark tells him that it's a placebo. And he goes, no, it's not. You're lying. I know a lot of stuff. He, he, I don't know if he says I know everything, but he basically lays it down that I, I know what's going on here. Yeah, because the whole time Mark is uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff. And Steve is such a dick to Mark. He really it's kind is. of funny. Like... He's his assistant and he treats him as such. Yeah. Like he'll bring up concerns and be like, Mark, enough. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, is yeah. how he treats him. There's a part where Mark goes, I got this really big idea. And he goes, okay, let's hear it. He goes, we can sell the laughing drug to comedy stores and like to comedy shops. And he goes, no offense. It's not really a big idea. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he is he is pretty rude to him. Yeah, Mark seems like a like a research student or an intern type mm-hmm. where he's really he's got his sweet gig. He's trying to work his way up and he has serious doubts about what they're doing. Yeah. But he refuses to step up and say anything. Yeah, he's kind of being coerced as well. Oh, for sure. Through, through this whole thing. Because Steve has given him the same thing, the whole same spiel, we're changing the world. Mm -hmm. Now, Mark has a little bit better idea of what's going on. Yeah. But Mark has this, he kind of twists Mark's perception and like, look, they're prisoners. They've done evil things. They signed up for this. Yeah. And they can't really know what's going on because it'll mess with the study. And we need the science to be pure. That's kind of his, my my assumption of how he kind of has his hooks in him, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I would agree with that. So 
the next day, they bring in Lizzie. Because Jeff has sex with Lizzie. Real sex, not under yeah. the effects of drugs. They actually fall in love. After Heather kills herself, Jeff kind of confesses some things to her about how he's been feeling and stuff like that. And they end up kissing and their relationship is starting to blossom. Yeah. Now, did they remind, because there were a few a few things while I was watching this that didn't sit well with me. So, but maybe I'm misremembering. When they bring Jeff in and Lizzie's in the room and Steve says, okay, we're going to put, have you put Dark and Flux uh, on Lizzie? Make the decision to do it. He says no outright mm-hmm. and gets pretty angry because he's, <laughs> this is like the fourth time that he's in the room having to put Dark and Flux on somebody or at least given the ultimatum yeah. to do so. And he gets pretty upset. Doesn't Steve tell him, let's just calm down. Let's take the day. We'll reconvene in the morning. We'll do it in the morning. I'm pretty sure that he tells him that. Because at that point, then he tells... Oh, yes, Then he tells Mark to double his dose. Yep, you are correct. And then when Mark is filling up the stuff, that's when Jeff goes to him, hey, look, I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think we got off topic. This is what we were talking about, though. He goes to Mark, he says, look, I know what's going on. Don't you could go anywhere. Why are you playing a part in this evil shit? Yeah. And Mark comes through. Mark takes the day off sick the next day. He sure does. But so here's here's the thing that that I don't get. The next day, yeah, Mark takes the day off. They're back in the room. Lizzie is back in the chamber, in the test chamber. And I don't get why at least it didn't seem like Jeff didn't say anything to Lizzie about what was happening. And I don't know why he wouldn't, but it didn't seem like he did. Yeah, maybe. No, it certainly doesn't. Maybe he didn't have a chance to talk to Lizzie or maybe he thought, I don't want to set off any red flags. Maybe. Yeah. I also wasn't sure if maybe they weren't allowed to talk about what happens in the test chambers, but even if they weren't allowed to talk about what happens in the chest chambers, if he's, if he's in love with this woman, then he'd break that rule. I think it's possible. It's just a plot hole that somebody didn't think of. seems like a pretty big one to me. (laughs) I'll I'll be honest with you. It hadn't crossed my mind. Okay. Um, but anyway, that was something that didn't, that I was just wondering why it went down the way that it went down because then he's basically he comes in. Jeff says no again. And then Chris Hemsworth loses his shit. Yeah, he finally loses his cool. Yeah. He's like, God damn it, Jeff. I do all these nice things for you. I'm always trying to help you out. I'm the nice guy. And just you can't do this one thing for me, Jeff. This one thing is all this. Everything we done here for nothing. Mm-hmm. Just this one damn thing, Jeff. But he he makes a pretty fatal error. <laughs> And he gives the this his cell phone basically that runs and administers the medication, if that's the word for it, to Jeff to turn up the dark influx. Yeah. So there's this kind of cool scene where you see him scrolling up, but it shows the app and it says that the patient is Steve. 
So it kind of makes me think that not only did Mark go and he calls Hookie the next day, uh, basically to go and tell the cops and the law enforcement and then bring bring them to the location. Yeah. We find out that that's happening. But I think that he also put all the bad stuff in Chris Hemsworth character. Correct, yeah. Because well. he refills his stock too. Yeah. Because once again, Steve's getting high on his own supply. Mm-hmm. And so he has a little pack on his back as well. So yeah, Mark filled up Darkenflux and his. So when Jeff is turning up the Darkenflux, guess who's getting it? It's Steve. It's Steve, yeah. And he starts losing it. Yeah. Yeah, so basically from there, it uh, turns into a prison escape scene where he essentially puts his voice over the intercom and says, hey, you've got a pretty good thing here. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but Jeff and Lizzie are trying to escape and they've called the authorities to be here. And if the authorities show up, this place that you're at, it's going under. You're going back to prison. Yeah, you're going back to the state penitentiary. Yeah. Dude, I love that last scene. It's so stupid and so fun because the <laughs> song starts playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Hold on. What song is that? Uh, you make my dreams come yeah. true. Do, 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 do. And it's this because the rest of the movie is very much kind of like a thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, suspenseful. It's kind of building. And then this final scene is a straight up fun action scene set to 80s music. Yeah, set to Hall and Oates. Mm. Where they are fighting where they're fighting all the different uh all the different inmates. Inmates, yeah. Yeah. It I'll be honest though, it did feel like a little bit they weren't entirely sure how do we bring this to a conclusion. <laughs> so if that, I would yes, yeah, I agree so with that. I can't tell if it was intention all intentionally meant to be like a just a fun zany way to end the movie or if it was somebody was like i'm not entirely sure how to end this <laughs> uh 80s uh 80s montage fight scene to escape and they're like perfect perfect it works in guardians of the galaxy we've got chris hemsworth <laughs> maybe chris it. hemsworth was the one who suggested it maybe he's like you know in guardians of the galaxy <laughs> and in thor love and thunder Here's what we did. And they go, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's get let's get Hall and Oates on the phone, see if we can use their song. <laughs> so here's the thing, here's another thing that I don't get. Sure. They're still escaping. And I don't understand why. Because was it just for general safety because everybody's coming after them? Yeah. Okay. Because you do find out that the police are on their way. There's like six or seven police boats oh and you also find out they find out they've been free for like the last six months yeah yeah that that's kind of uh once steve knows he's he's being defeated that's kind of his because they you know there's a fight scene with steve and uh, eventually he runs off you know they run off and that's when he says everybody get him but while they're fighting with steve he goes Haha, <laughs> and just so you know, you were free three months ago. Yeah. And Lizzie's papers came through six days ago. Yeah. Just to be a dick. <laughs> what a jerk. What a jerk. Yeah. So Steve gets in a private plane, uh, like a single cockpit they call plane. That a puddle jumper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To fly away. But his machine, his his backpack, if you will, is 
all jacked up from the fight. Yeah, and it's, it's just administering different doses of different things randomly through his system. Yep. So he's flying the plane and he's laughing and then he's crying and he's like, ah, uh, and he's yelling and he's going through every emotion. Mm-hmm. And then he hits euphoria and he's flying off into the sunset and it looks beautiful. And he's like almost crying. It's so beautiful. Smashes into a mountain. Yep. <laughs> Explodes. Explodes. Done. <laughs> He's out. Uh, how'd you feel about the ending overall? Um, I overall, I'm not sure how else it could have ended. I, I don't know if I was necessarily satisfied with how it ended. The kind of the fight scene seemed like it came out of nowhere to me because yeah. it's kind of this psychological uh, thriller type of type of movie. And then it just kind of took a left turn there. Yeah, and uh, it is fun. It it's is fun. fun. Yes. But it's very it's it, jarring. It doesn't in comparison. jive with the rest of the film. Yeah. So what other way would have been a good way to end it? Uh, like what would be an an actual good way to end it? You know I mean, you know me, I don't like a happy ending. That's so true. I think if ultimately Steve won and got what he wanted and and, <laughs> and like I think that would be a very sad ending yeah but i mean i i think i would like that you'd like that one i think that i would like the fight scene to end uh with jeff on top as far as him winning and then him turning on the the pa system and he could have this sending them after steve yeah yeah and they could have a he could have a pretty cool speech over it over the PA system and you kind of have a montage of the different people and inmates that you've seen through the movie and there's small interactions we could kind of revisit characters that way because then Steve could still get in the puddle jumper and fly away. Yeah, well, and yeah, you get the same scene, but instead you have Chris Hemsworth trying to fend off all the inmates that are mad at him. Yeah, and then you have the police boat show up afterwards. I feel like that would have been a... Like, that would have made more sense. That would have made more sense for sure. Because then you could still have action, but it's kind of like a big chase scene with everybody chasing Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, well, and logically it makes sense. Yeah. So that's how I would have changed it, I think. I think I would have liked that ending more. That being said, the movie as a whole was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, Again, it reminded me a lot of Ex Machina um, just because of in that movie... It's a guy who has, is sent to a private island. It's not a prison thing, but he's sent to a private island with a billionaire. And maybe that's why I'm getting the whole billionaire vibe from Chris Hemsworth. Because I'm okay. just like connecting these two together. Sure, that would make sense. But in that movie, this I forget if he's an engineer or a software developer or a coder. He's some smart computer guy. He meets an android that is AI. And he has interactions and the whole testing is the interactions between him and this and this robot. Okay. But the robot looks human and it's supposed to pass the Turing test. That's his whole thing. So the Turing test being uh, if if you can tell whether or not you're sentient or not. Well, if you're conversing with a machine. Oh, okay. So you know how like if you chat with a chat bot, you can tell it's not human. Okay. So the Turing test is being able to tell. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this film actually, we're in the minority, because I also, I agree, I enjoyed this movie. Oh, okay. We're in the minority? 
Yeah, generally I was looking because there wasn't a ton to go about this. So once again, it's based on a short story that was published in The New Yorker in 2010. Um, But generally it has a score of like 5 out of 10 on IMDb. Interesting. And on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is 39%. The audience score is 30%. Wow. Generally people really didn't like this movie. And so I read through because there wasn't a whole lot of interesting facts with this so i started looking at some of the reviews and how other people felt about it okay and a lot of them said that the plot line uh just there there wasn't enough meat on there um a number of people said you know kind of the most interesting parts about the plot they skipped over okay and a lot of you know you have some a really great cast who do a really great job but the story just wasn't there hmm which I kind of get to an extent. Um, like I said, I think it did. There was certainly a tonal change. Yeah. It, towards the end, that kind of took me out a little bit. I didn't love the ending. <laughs> um, one of my favorite reviews I did. So I was looking and most of them said, uh, like one said, this film couldn't decide what they were making. If it was a comedy, uh, if it's a comedy, it's not funny. If it's a thriller, it's not thrilling. It's just kind of a mess. Mm hmm. Um, and I get people's feeling on that. Is that I enjoyed the acting enough that I, I thought the plot wasn't particularly incredible and groundbreaking. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting. This yeah. Is a, this is a fun movie and it's only like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's not it's not a full like two and a half hour long movie. And maybe they if they made it longer, they could have expanded on some of that stuff. Yeah. But here's a review I liked, though. OK. No spiders in this. Only Christopher Hemsworth crawling into people's brains to manipulate their fragile minds. Also, glad there wasn't any spiders. They scare me. (laughs) (laughs) What was the score on that one? Three out of five stars. What kind of review is that? (laughs) Dude, I like it. I'm I'm a firm believer that if you're somebody who writes, goes on like uh, IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes or something and writes a review. Yeah. I don't, I've said this before, you should have to give a list of what other, what are your top five movies to know if I even care what you have to say. Sure. Right. So I kind of like that. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's kind of goofy. Just kind of shit posting, really. Yeah. I thought that the name of the writer sounded familiar. So I looked at him. The writer of the film or the short story? Uh, I'm sorry, the director. Oh, okay. The the director, uh, Kaczynski, Joseph Kaczynski. Sure. So he directed Top Gun Maverick, uh, which has taken a ton of critical claim. Yeah. Well, I don't know about critical, and, but well, it, and it Miles did, Teller was in yeah, as well. It did really, really well. Um, he also did Tron Legacy. Oh, wow. He was okay. the director of Tron Legacy. I loved that movie so much. I mean, I don't think anything I saw that was an issue as far as those reviews I read through. Mm-hmm. It all had to go with kind of plot and story. Sure. Because, I, I mean, I would agree. I think it's directed beautifully. I mm-hmm. think the cinematography is really well done. I think the performances are really good. And I think if people do have an issue with the plot, that's fair. I don't think it warrants a... 40%. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I think it's better. I'm not saying it's the best movie ever, but it's a fun movie. Yeah. 
I, I think it's a good, easy watch, and you can't fault the performances. Right. Literally all the the main cast have like heartfelt, genuine performances. Yeah. Uh, the cinematography wise, it's great. I think the story kind of zips along and say, even if it does shift kind of tonally, I think the story is easily trackable. I, I don't think it's hard to understand what's going on. I think it's as a complete piece of art. I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's, particularly super original or you know you can have those complaints that's fine but right yeah the I film mean, itself i think is well made yeah i would agree i would agree with that i mean you do kind of know at the beginning once it starts you kind of figure okay probably some more stuff is going on behind the scenes yeah right that's pretty evident from the beginning of the film so i think it's evident from the name of the film as soon <laughs> as it starts and there ha- there's happy music playing and the movie is called spiderhead you're like Something's not right here. Something's not right. <laughs> so that name does not match this music. There's going to be a on. turn somewhere. Yeah. But so, you know, the plot twist was not like a huge, like, oh my gosh, type of thing. You, yeah, you figured it, things were happening. It, it was not fucking Haley Joel Osmond saying, I see dead people. Right. It yeah. wasn't that. But it was, a, I think it was a solid film, Thor. I do. I don't think it was the best thing in the world. But it was a lot better than Gummo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that bar is. You know what? Actually, while I got Rotten Tomatoes, I'm going to look up what Gummo has on a Rotten Tomatoes. Did oh we my look gosh! That up? If this thing, <laughs> if this thing is lower than than Gummo, I'm going to be furious. All right. So remember the Spiderhead, thirty nine and thirty. Thirty nine and thirty. So thirty nine from the critics, mm-hmm. twenty from audiences. Thirty nine and thirty, or thirty nine and twenty. Thirty nine and thirty. Okay. 39 and 30. Man, I really... Well, the critics are going to say Gummo's higher than that. I know it's going to (laughs) happen. I know it's going to happen. Well, uh, my phone's taking a second to load. Oh, jeez. The suspense, Thor! (laughs) What are we looking at, Thor? Give it to me straight here. Okay. First of all, it, I don't. It's let, insane. Let's let's not talk about the critic score yet. What's the what's the user score? No, no. Critic score mm-hmm. almost the same, thirty eight percent. Oh, okay. So critics only thought Gummo was one percent worse <laughs> than this film. Okay, and that's based on fifty eight reviews. Okay, about uh, Spider had probably close to that. Okay. Audience score based on ten thousand plus ratings. Yeah. What do you think? I'm guessing that it's going to be higher than 38%. I'm going to... So the audience score for Spiderhead was 30%. Yeah. The audience score for Gummo, 73%. Oh my gosh! What? (laughs) Yeah. How? Who's watching this film and thinks that... Okay. I... I mean, there's at least 300 million people in this country... What is this on? Apparently, this on? there's close to 10,000 psychopaths, in what? case you hadn't guessed already. <laughs> what, what is, this is on what? Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. I'm done with Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> all of, all, any value that they have certified fresh? Bullshit. I don't care now. <laughs> I was don't it? care. Yeah. That's horrible. Man. I don't know what's more insane to me is that the critic score is basically the same. Yeah. Or the fact that the audience score is so much higher. Like, what? (laughs) I thought it would be the other way around. 
I really did. I thought that the critic score was going to be higher. Oh, okay. For for Gummo. Yeah, neither one of those are what I expected. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, with that, I think it's about time for ratings. Yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes has given their score. <laughs> IMDb has given their score. So Micah, for you, mm-hmm. on a scale of one to ten spiders. Hmm. Seven. Seven spiders. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think seven is is the way to go because it's it's solid. I enjoyed the film. Um. I didn't think that the film was okay. I enjoyed the film. Okay. So I, I liked it. I liked it. There were, I think, a couple of plot holes, and it was kind of jarring at that weird switch at the end. But ultimately, I had a fun time watching it. Yeah, if you kind of rolled with it, it was fun. It was a fun scene. Mm-hmm. It's just certainly, it's certainly out of place compared to the rest of the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things where while you're watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is fun. But then after you've decompressed a little bit and had some time away from the movie... And start like, thinking about why? it. You look, oh, why? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, seven out of ten spiders. Yeah, I think I'm right there too. All right. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Seven out of ten spiders. Much better than the Rotten Tomatoes score. And you know what? I think we're better at scoring things than Rotten Tomato. <laughs> That's right. Rotten Tomatoes, come fight us. That's right. We'll take you out and squish you. You're going down, You know, because here's the thing with Rotten Tomatoes. It's too many too many cooks in the kitchen. That's right. You can't trust a bunch of people to make decisions yeah. like that. Get out of here, no, Rotten Tomatoes. just we'll, come to Micah and me. We'll dry you in the sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so. You want to know my favorite family guy joke? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know Peter's neighbor, Joe. Mm-hmm. He has a son who goes off into the military at one like early in the series. And then eventually later in the series, they end up finding out that his son died like in the military, like in Afghanistan or something. Okay. And so Peter goes, Hey Joe, what's your what's your favorite vegetable? Sun dyed tomatoes. <laughs> wow. Get it? Sun dyed tomatoes. <laughs> it's the dark. He's not actually dead, but he comes back in the show. But it's like the Jeez. most brutal joke of all time. That's crazy. <laughs> What's your favorite vegetable? Sun dyed tomatoes. Because <laughs> his son died. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, Ron Tomatoes. Ron Tomatoes. They're dead to me. That's what I think about you. Yeah. So, what do you guys think? 30%, 7 out of 10. Who's closer? I think I think we all know the answer. Um, tune in. Let us know. Uh, send us a message on Instagram. Find us on Spotify. We also have an email address. It's getrectpod at gmail.com. G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. That's right. Now, um, with that said, next week, Thor, we're going to... Go a different direction. Okay. We're going to play some video games. Oh, We're going right to some games. Nice. Yeah. Um, one of the PlayStation uh, freebies for the month of June is a game called Trek to Yomi. Y-O-M-I. So if you have a PlayStation, well, probably it's not going to be June by the time this comes out. Yeah. Uh, I have a baby coming, so we've been trying to record a bunch of episodes, so I have a little bit of breathing room when that little stinker comes around. That little stinker. And... So when you're hearing this, Trek to Yomi will not be on PlayStation 
yeah. uh, for free anymore. But it's not a full price game. It's like 20 bucks. And in fact, if you have Xbox, I've, uh, I've heard that it's on the Xbox uh, Game Pass. So if you have Xbox Game Pass, you can play it for free. Cool. Um, so with that, it is a kind of a 2.5D side scroller. Takes okay. place in Edo, Japan, and it. Um, I honestly, just full disclosure, haven't played it much, but I'm a nerd and I like to listen to game reviews that I don't ever intend on playing the games. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that the reviews or the reviews coming in for this are all pretty solid. So I thought, let's check it out. Sure. Yeah, I'm into it. So, and I'm I'm told that it's not a very long game. Like six hours is all you'll need to play it. And oh, beat very it. cool. I like yeah. that. So, so it's a small game. Um, I think that if it's not on sale, like a discounted price or anything anywhere, then I think the standard price for it's $20. Okay. So if you are hesitant, look up some reviews. Um, or come back next week and listen to us talk about it. Maybe yeah. we'll sway your opinion one way or the other. Because we give better reviews than anybody else, obviously. Yeah, don't go to Rotten Tomatoes for your video game reviews. Ever. Does Rotten Tomato review video games? I don't think so, but... Yeah, I bet they get it wrong. They'd do a, a horrible lot. job. They'd be like, you know what, Elden Ring, fucking one out of ten. One out of, there's Stupid. no narrative. Duper duper duper. Gummo, seventy five percent. Gummo, go the watch game. Gummo. Don't play Elden Ring. Stupid. Rotten I thought tomatoes. you were talking about Gummo the game. Oh, <laughs> Dude, gosh. can you imagine Gummo the game? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I, you shouldn't. It'd be I don't horrible. Want to. Uh, anyway, until next time. As always, you get wrecked out there. Stay wrecked. Mm-hmm. B-I-N-G-O B-I-N-G-O B-I-N-G-O-N